Yeah. And, and I was just now. noticing this morning, you know, Grand Central, like, they're live guys in suits and ties. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what's, what's... The New York Times did a thing yesterday about how we didn't realize it, but 2021 is going to be looked back on as the good old days. What do you mean? Everyone's house was worth uh, way more than it should be. Uh, asset prices. Portfolios bubble. were booming. Nobody had to go to work. It's like really, a, <laughs> it was like really a golden moment where you can like watch Netflix all day, get paid the same amount or more, not have to be anywhere or put on a tie. Yeah, and more. That's if all. you're in asset management, it was more. Yeah, and how right? was Miami? That's going away. Uh, Miami, Bitcoin, Miami. Wait, were you in uh, the where, were Bahamas, Miami? Where were you? Yes. Both? Yes. yes. Yeah, good times. Were you with? Uh, times. DJ Khaled? I went uh, FTX Salt. And, uh, oh, I had dinner with uh, Howard. I don't know if you read Howard's note. He, oh, Lindsay? Yeah. Oh, we love Howard. You know, he got stuck down there. Yeah. No, he was, he had, yeah, he, he got COVID. I had dinner day, with him. Every day he was tweeting COVID, positive, positive, positive. <laughs> he got stuck. You gave it to him. Last week when we were sitting here, we were ta- who was on last week? Uh, oh, Matt. Uh, Matt, Matt Phillips. Yeah, we're not good with this. We forget <laughs> really quickly. And I'm looking at the screen as deja vu. Remember going to the close on Thursday? I'm like, yeah. We're not bouncing. Today. We're not bouncing. We're not bouncing. What's the pattern? Did you share with me the pattern where the market goes down every Thursday and Friday? So you know how people like will like <laughs> quib like, oh, nobody wants to be long going into the weekend? Yeah. So more, no, Bespoke, I think it was Bespoke did this chart. Maybe the time, I, somebody did it, where it showed the cumulative daily return by hour of every day of the year. And it showed nobody wants to be long going into the weekend. Thursday and Friday, it started Thursday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And it Negative con- 4%. And it continued into Friday morning. And all then, through the afternoon. And then Monday starts to rebound. Tuesday. Did, you po- did you post that? Where was this? Who did this? We did this on, we did this on What Are Your Thoughts on Tuesday. Let me see if I can find but this. I, but we wiped the doc out. I'll find it. So I don't have, have it. The you have that? Let me pull it up. Pull that up. It was like, it's, it's, like, it's like quantifying the stupidity. Uh, but that, it's still working. Unless, Is that as of, I mean. It was, that, it was year to date. It was year to date. You're right. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a permanent thing. But feels permanent. I am launching a hedge fund based oh, on look, that. Oh, look, look, look. Oh, who is this? B of A. <laughs> I feel like this is going to go on it's forever. It's an ETF idea, obviously. Yeah. So look at this. Nine o'clock. Woohoo! Things are good. All right, whatever, whatever. Mix, mix, mix. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so the cumulative S&P return. Uh, it's a killer chart. Year to date on Thursdays is minus 10.6%. So we should just start a hedge fund that Friday's buys, minus we should start 8%. a hedge fund that buys at three o'clock on Monday and sells at four. Three, it's, right, three o'clock, the three o'clock hedge fund. Yeah, no, ETF, you can't earn but, enough but, you know, for this. But people can get screwed on the open and close, right? So you've got some weird things. People, you know, enter their trades overnight and you could, you don't have like a best X, uh, I don't know what the technical stuff is. solves this. I'm just saying, I, what I would do is I would tokenize Fractionalize, and then retokenize. Retokenize, probably spin it off, uh, and then LBO it. So, <laughs> not spack just, it. Listen, <laughs> maybe spack it. All right. Uh, th- I mean, that's that's. Uh, pro- I don't know if you ever have seen anything like this for any other year. I can't imagine no, any I, year I looking like something like this, even in the reverse. This is almost eerie. What happens on Thursdays that people get so bearish? They 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 remember that Saturday's coming up. <laughs> it's, it's the almost the weekend. Can they're, fr- they're front running the fr- Friday sellers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My lord, uh, we wrote you a really great bio. I'm going to read it to you. It's going to be a oh, little bit awkward because I'm going to make it. eye contact with you while I read about you. Uh, but that's okay. It's comfortable for everyone. It's it's comfortable. For I'm everyone. very comfortable. The list, the the reader, the bio reader. Yeah, the bio e. All right, guys, how are we doing on time? Does that have looking some good, good, good dirt on me? 
What's that? Does that have some good dirt on me? No, no, no. Like some of my no, friends. No, no, no. You're, <laughs> you are one of the most accomplished people in this room. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the top ten. You're in the top five. <laughs> the top Easily 10. the top five. No, you've had you've had a hell of a career. I want to I want to celebrate that for sure. For sure. Don't make me laugh the whole time, okay? <laughs> no, I won't. Please, I won't. We'll be good. We'll be good. Uh, let's do some claps. Am I supposed to put the headphones on? What do you mean? Put us? on the headphones. Yes. Clap it up. Clap it up. Claps coming in. Yeah, here we go. All right. No, you don't have to. I mean, it's it's great if you do. It's great if you do. Compound friends. Say it. 46. 46 of these we've done. Welcome to the Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. How do you own a Picasso? You don't, I know how much money you have. It's not that much. <laughs> Tell us how you do that. Well, there's a site called masterworks.io. Okay. And they fractionalize uh, art. So I'm a proud owner. I don't have my wall, but I've got it on my virtual wall, my digital wall. Okay. So you own point something percent of a Picasso. That's kind of cool. Not to brag, but yes. Okay. How many other, how many other pieces of art do you own pieces of? I've got six. I think I've got seven. I think I've got seven. I've got, uh, so six others in my, in my repertoire, my portfolio. Okay. So how do you do it? And how do you you get liquid when a, do do painting sell? Like, do it. Tell me the whole thing. Do they sell? Tell me the whole thing. I go to the site. I see what I'm interested in. I buy, and then when they when they sell on my behalf, I will get liquidity. Ben got liquidity. Ben got a sale. Ben got a sale of one of the paintings he was a fractional owner in. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Anyway, here's what you do. You go to masterworks.io. You, you got to check out the disclaimer. Masterworks.io/disclaimer. Let them know we sent you, uh, and thank you for listening. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for uh, tuning into the show every week. We have so much fun producing it. And today is going to be an episode for the ages. You guys are in luck. We have Mr. Jan Van. Is it Van or Van? Van. Jan Van Eck, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show. Come on, a little little. Yeah, let's go. Okay, I can't hear anything. It's so loud. I just I just Googled you to make sure that we had everything in your bio that we wanted. And you come up as a I'm sure he knows this. Holy Roman M- Empire era painter, Flemish painter, which I guess makes sense. But that guy has a Y. E-Y-C-K. Yep. So I knew when they were studying him in art history and college. You see everyone be like, hey, did you know that? Good artist? First time you've heard that. Oh yeah. Oh he is. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh do you know art? You, you must know art. Not really. A little okay. bit. All right. It's a manipulated market. But you do know you do know a lot about the biggest topics of the week. And I said to you before, I feel like you are the perfect guest that we could have had. Not that we knew any of this would happen when we invited you, but it really the timing is excellent. Let me give uh the listeners a little bit of an idea of who you are. Jan Van Eck is the CEO of Van Eck, a New York headquartered mutual fund and ETF company. You joined the firm in nineteen ninety-two. But you joined the executive management team in 1998. So you've seen some things. You've been around for a little while. Yep. Okay. Very cool. All right. So I think what what VanEck itself is most well known for is thematic ETFs um, or sector ETFs. And you dominate a couple of pretty important categories. So I think most people are familiar with GDX, 
which is the gold mining uh, ETF. It's about 14, 15 billion ish. How long has that been around? Uh, we, that was our first ETF in 2006. Okay, so you actually started the ETF group within VanEck. Yes. That's your baby. Yep. Okay, so you're pretty early, 06, I would say. Yep, felt late, but. It felt late at the time, but look at how much has happened since then. Okay, uh, you have SMH, which I didn't realize, the semiconductor ETF, which I think you guys dominate that category. Yep. Okay. Um, OIH? We bought, we bought the holders that were set up in Merrill, and we yes. converted them from this really bad inflexible trust structure into ETF. So it was like a big one-time create, right. you know, redeem and then create. Right. Um, so yeah, SMH and OIH are the two big winners out of that. OIH so, is oil oil, services. large oil services companies. Yep. Shaker Hughes. Also, right, right. also the leader okay. in, that, in that sector. And you have the junior gold miners, GDXJ. If, if the volatility of GDX is not enough for you and you're looking for more, the juniors, GDXJ, uh, Morningstar Wide Moat is one of your top five ETFs. What is that? So uh, the theory, Morningstar does equity research, uh, research on companies, not just on funds. And it's very simple. Like a company has a competitive advantage that it can achieve higher than normal profitability for a longer period of time. Okay. Right? And that can be network effects or whatever it is. And then they have a evaluation methodology that when they get below their target prices, they add it to the index every quarter. Okay. So like what would be in that Google I'm guessing. Uh, uh, fa- no, Facebook, Facebook is in there, right? Okay. Because, you know, it's not always in there. But when the price fell, remember, it had a bad quarter. Boom, they add it back so in. So the universe is which companies have this wide moat per Morningstar's quantitative right. standard. Right. It's not that many. It qua- it's not qualitative. That many. They qualitative. Have, they have, like, people. Hundreds of people. Oh, and then analysts. the quantitative part is, well, what are the, right, the ones that are valued correctly to buy? Correct. Okay. That's a very cool idea. Um, all right. So you've been in the business a long time. It always feels different. But I have to say, this particular bear market, which I'm calling it that, I know it's not 20% exactly, but it's close enough for my taste. This one feels really different to me for three main reasons. And I wanted to just hit you with these and and get your reaction. The first is that it perfectly coincided with a bond bear market um, year to date. Both asset classes having the worst start simultaneously which I don't think anyone had that on their bingo card. Even if you thought rates would go up this year, you probably didn't expect a bond market crash with a stock market crash. The second, though, is the speed. You know, other outside of COVID 2020, I don't remember a bear market hitting this quickly. Uh, I, I guess, I mean, statistically, I might be wrong. Well, the average stock is down 20%. The average bad stock is down 50%. And the average really, the, and the really bad stock is down 50% in three days. So that's depth, which is the second place I was going to go. We're now in a place where most individual investors who own stocks, not just funds, have names that are down 60 to 80 percent, and it's normal. And like that, to me, is one of the most shocking aspects of this bear market. It's not like it's two years of this. How about having a stock down 60 percent that falls 30 percent after earnings? Yeah. So, so those three things I think set this one apart. But maybe I'm overstating that, and and there have been worse, and I'm not really recalling. What are your What are your thoughts on all that? I think you're wrong on every dimension. Okay, tell me. <laughs> so, first of all, we're in a different regime. The Fed has supported the market for the last decade, right? Yeah. Since the financial crisis, and every you know the Fed put right, everyone would just buy the dips. The Fed has been very loud, very clear 
that they're not just raising rates, but they're pulling back that quantitative, the buying of bonds that they've been doing. Right. So um, like in the 70s, the era that I kind of grew up in the markets, like it's common that financial assets, meaning stocks and bonds, do bad in a time of inflation. Right. Like so that's, that's just, outside that's of the my playbook. experience. Right. So I've it, never seen it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's the playbook. Um, as, as far as the speed is concerned, I actually think if I'm, if I'm at the Fed, I think that the, the bear market in stocks has been orderly. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is there is enough liquidity in the markets. You're not hitting, you know, jumps and having to halt trading and all that kind of stuff. No trading firms well, are true. blowing up. We haven't had that it's yet. A, it's painful. Every day is painful, but it's spread out, you know, now over over many days. Yeah. I mean, compared to, to, you know, 2020, right, when there was no liquidity, boom, it just well, We had multiple circuit breakers in that bear market. Right. Inf- but that was like super fast, yes. right? And and so that's-, this, that's No, a, this, you're right. This is not that- well, but outside I'm of worried, that. I'm worried that the bond market could get disorderly because the, the thing that I've circled on my calendar is when the Fed stops buying bonds in June. So that's, you know, not to jump ahead of ourselves, but that's what I'm worried about. Um, you know, I've been saying that growth stocks have been overvalued and I'm dying to put cash to work. I'm telling you every day, every hour I look at that little chart real account, what I want to buy but so I, do I. I'm not going to do it until the Fed just gets out of the market. Uh, and why are they buying? Why were they Wouldn't buying mortgage you? bonds? I don't a year it. ago during the middle of a housing boom. I've been screaming crazy. about this. I really don't understand it. What were they looking to have happen? We're already. You have how, home prices nationally up twenty percent. In some cities, up thirty percent. What are we trying to do here? Why are we buying how much? Uh, Thirty-five billion yeah. worth of mortgage bonds or whatever the. To what end? Right. And what? so the last point is like how far prices yeah, have yeah. fallen. And it's been really painful. And the and and frankly, the arc dynamic of getting into th- thematic disruption stocks, yeah. I think there's been just a bloodbath, you know, for those investors. I think this is the week that they pull out. They've been they've been piling in. We've been talking about this on the show for weeks now. I think this is the uncle. I think this is when they, they cry uncle. AU, AUM is still po- We don't still know. Positive. We don't know if they're buying in. Because look, I know the f- there's inflows into the fund, you right? But as an ETF sponsor, I can tell you there is create to lend. Right. Why did KWEB but why they just grow buy- in assets last year? It's as because it, people People were shorting. The hedge funds wanted to short Chinese tech. That's a good point. But why wouldn't they just buy SARC if they wanted to short it? I think it's I think it's the hedge funds love like it's it's a very liquid name, you know, so they probably can borrow, you know, borrow cheap. That's a good point. That's fair. You might be right. And you know way more about this stuff. Well, I'm just saying we don't. don't I'm just saying neither of us really know. Nobody on the New York Stock Exchange knows. Duncan, what's going on? Are they buying the Duncan might know. Do you know? I have, I have no idea. Okay. Uh, nobody nobody at ARCA or the exchange or or any of the market the makers The prime brokers knows. know. And, this and the market makers know. The they're knowing if they're creating to land, but they don't tell us. And they're, and they're not they're not calling the Wall Street Journal and but being Van, like, Vandetrack, really going on. Track tracks retail, retail flow. And I think that they're showing buyers, but I could be wrong. It could be. Um, I think so. So the inflation is causing like a deflationary death spiral in stocks. People know that they're going to be cheaper tomorrow. So who's buying? To st- you and I. I'm waiting for a higher low. Just give me one. This not. I'm not buying in a, when they're crashing. And and look, no one owned government bonds last year. No one said, "Oh, I want to buy one percent on the ten year, and no. I think I'm going to make money." Like literally, I would ask everyone I know, "Do you own any? Own it? No." So in a way, is it weird that the ten year would go to three or four percent? 
when you have 2% economic growth and inflation of at least 2%? No, that's like totally – like if I had asked anyone in the markets, they would have said, yeah, that, that makes sense. Not me. I would have said no only because demographics. I thought there was too much demand at, at 3%. There, were, there, there were a lot is. of narratives around why the yeah. bond market was the way it was over the last 10 years. It's a central bank. Yeah. It's just so, one right, reason. So to that point, to that point, Verdad did this kick-ass piece that perfectly describes the current environment. They said raising rates – when growth has already started to decelerate, creates significant dangers for the economy, which is one of the reasons why stocks have been selling off. So the question that I have is, to this point, is the stock market overreacting? No. This is all like kind of predictable. Like the growth was so overvalued. Everybody said People that. People were Everybody. buying SaaS companies at 20 times revenue. 50, revenue. 50, 60. Whatever. Yeah. Insane. So Insane Zoom, multiples. They were coming public at those multiples. Rivian at 100. Zoom was bigger than Exxon at one moment in time. Exxon is now 13 times bigger than Zoom. So that shit has been corrected real quick. Right. But the, this, the this, name to me, that's the poster child of that. Is, is Rivian, though. It was the biggest IPO of 21. Yeah. It had all the right people involved. They sold Ford, stocks. Ford, Amazon. Yeah. Ford. Uh, they had a deal Munger. in place with no, Amazon. This thing came out. No, no revenue, right? <laughs> no. Uh, no. Were, How many cars did they have? They came out on the verge of delivering their first cars. Exactly. Right. No revenue. Right. Uh, but they, I guess they had bookings, but nothing, but no actual. But now they do. Uh, but they came public at 160 billion. So it's like, even if you're the biggest fan on earth of the truck, the management, whatever you like about Rivian, what on earth could justify 160 billion other than, did you see what they're paying for Tesla? Did you see what they're paying for Lucid? It was always a relative game. But that's what it is. So those stocks are the, the North well, Star. Not anymore. The way that the Fed funds rate is gravity for the 10-year or whatever, everything trades off of Apple, I think. And so now that, now that Apple is cracking. Look, to, to get back to your question, Michael, about where we are in the cycle with the financial markets, the economy, the, the statistic I look at is the unemployment rate. I mean, we have such a super hot economy and the labor sets. market was is so tight. <laughs> it's so tight. So uh, until that starts loosening. Now, the bears are going to say uh, it's going to roll over like crazy. Yeah, there's, you know, all these job openings for all the unemployed. But okay, good. that, that demand for, for jobs will go away instantaneously. I, I don't think labor markets adjust that quickly. So I, I'm saying I think we could have. Yeah, we the Fed is happy. The Fed is happy. The stock market decline is orderly, mm -hmm. and they're being very transparent in you know in what they're communicating. And you know the labor market, people still have jobs. We could have the the poster child, the mother of all the stock market is not the economy environments, where the stock market gets completely obliterated. Yeah, I think you're right. And the economy is relatively okay. We contract, but not a deep recession. And so unless we get a deep recession, then you could say the market is overreacting. Unem wait, unemployment rate for college graduates is 2%. So even if you said the labor market's about to roll over to what, four? Like, what are we talking about that's, here? That's my point. This is going to be generational. It's going to get weird. It is weird. Okay. That's my, well, the only, the only problem is, right, our cost of living is going up. So wages, you know, wages are going up. So that's where, you know, are you better off? I, that, that's the one thing I do want to say. I look at, at wages, but a lot of people are suffering, right? Because yes. these gas costs are hitting everybody. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. And one of the questions I, was, I, gave, a, I gave a talk last night to uh, YPO, like a Long Island chapter with Barry. And there are people of all different ages in the room, but mostly over 40. I said, imagine yourselves back in your mid-30s. You're a millennial. You are about to enter into your peak earnings years. 
you're getting promotions, you're becoming a boss, and not only are you about to earn more money than you've ever earned, but you can quit your job and get a new one like that. There's 1.9 open jobs for every one person seeking a job right now. How powerful do you feel? And now let me add on to that. The stocks that you're forced to buy in your 401k are anywhere from 15 to 30% lower than where they were last year. Who should be more upset about the stock market, you or your parents? Your parents are selling them to you. Where do you want to take your parents out of these stocks, at a record high or where they are now? But the, the fly in the ointment of that story is the cost of living is just completely absurd and getting worse. Like if you look at rentals, if you look at filling up a tank, we're going to talk about the inflation stuff. But it's not just it's not just supply chain shit anymore. It's services are going up too. All right. Um, what's this about the Taylor rule? Do we have to get into this or no? Hell no. All right, I don't understand. Who put this in here? You did. I did. I, I don't where? Know. I didn't put Verdana. No, no, no. Get out of there. I read that I'm, whole piece. Uh, get out of there. I had no idea. We're not doing that. By the end. We're not doing that. I want to talk about. So Josh wrote a post like, "Is the stock market cheap enough?" And to the question of is the stock market overreacting, I think absent a big one, meaning like a big policy mistake, which we might be on the verge of, absent a big deep recession, I think we are maybe not there yet, but we might look back and say the stock market overreacted to the downside. Amazon Amazon down 43%. Why? In other words, two scenarios. S- scenario one, soft landing. If that's what ends up happening- Well, then and stocks are screaming by. And it's apparent by the end of this year, not every stock, but many stocks are down too much. Yeah. However, if it's a recession, we're not low enough. I agree. Because multiples still have to come down and earnings will collapse with them at the same time. So I see it as very binary where we are now. What do you think about that? I just – look, I focus on the elephant and that's the Fed, okay. right? I mean it doesn't really matter. I know we all think about what we think about. We don't – you know, the Fed is the giant in the fixed income markets. And so the the act – you know, we haven't seen the third act of the play and that is – the Fed is going to get out of the fixed income markets. And we have you know, commercial banks that provide no liquidity to the fixed income markets. So that is where the breakage could happen. It may be a little bit abstract for equity investors, but it's still like everyone needs to borrow money maybe if you want to borrow, buy, the third buy a house it, or whatever. But they come the back. Third, That's the third act. They come right back. No, no, no. The third act is a twist. <laughs> What's the thing that none of us can comprehend might happen uh, when the Fed gets out of the bond market? Citadel buys it. You know, we, <laughs> no, we could all come up with a scenario where there's a liquidity crunch and uh, there's a, a, you know, a 20 percent spike in bankruptcy filing. We all could do that. Doesn't that seem just too obvious or sometimes the obvious thing ends up happening? That's what the market's struggling with right now. Yeah. I think does the Fed tighten too much and, you know, just are they irrational? Um, uh, and I think they care more. I don't think they care about asset prices. To, to a certain extent, because they would need to kill inflation, right? They just made a big policy boo-boo. And so what do we, whenever we make boo-boos, right, we want to fix them as fast as possible. So they really want to get rid of what inflation. Was the mis- what was the, the mistake? Only thing that will Stimulating free- and through yeah, 21? Yeah, causing inflation, yeah. you know, the temporary of inflation, right? They're, that is their job, is price stability. So I just think they have to, uh, they, they want to solve that. But if the fixed income market starts creaking, and, and, you know, crunching like it did in 2020, that, that's the third act. Now, may, maybe we don't get there, but I really want the third act to start and make sure it doesn't people happen and everyone that, dies at the end. People forget <laughs> that uh, pre-COVID, they had to step into the repo, I think the repo markets yeah. in, 19, 20, 18, in 19. 19. Like they, they've, ha- they've had to step in a few times that we kind of gloss over because of how much they stepped in in 20. And listen, there's all these – remember European debt crisis? Guess what? 
Greece still has borrowed a lot of money. We've yeah. borrowed a lot of money. These higher rates. Don't joke about like that. No I'm one, a lender. No one. No one's. No one's really in the markets to me talking about the pain that's going to come from you know like borrowers the, having to pay a lot more interest for their debt. Um, we haven't seen a big spike yet. Speaking of debt, we haven't seen a big spike yet in uh, in uh, really anything that would concern you about junk bonds or high yield or even the leveraged loan market, which is enormous at this point. They're all that functioning has, fine. That has not happened yet. Maybe that's the third act. But again, that would be very predictable. It's what always happens. What do you think is the reason? Is it just because companies were able uh, to lock in such low rates that they're, they can coast on that And they're for a cashed while? up. You well, know? that's the thing. Corporations are okay. It's government. Balance sheets are good. It's governments that are Consumer and corporate balance sheets are good. That's why I struggle with the wheels completely falling off. Agree. And that's why I'm saying if the labor market's still good. People have jobs. Right. So, so what do what do we think about the markets still reacting to CPI prints that might have already peaked? Maybe they're not, but I am a little bit surprised that the market puked the way that it did on, on the on the inflation. Or even today, I mean, look, inflation is sticky and very high and difficult, but it's not like we're accelerating still in in producer price index. And actually, if you look at core and pull out a lot of the noise, it's like kind of stabilizing. Not that you want it to stabilize at these levels; you want it to fall, but. I don't know. Is it, are, are we getting that part right or wrong? I don't think there's a lot of conviction about longer term like commodity prices, which is something that I look at. And, you know, if you look at how cheap the commodity stocks are, they they are like, you know, the stuff goes up and it goes down to zero. Right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I don't think the market is really fully pricing in higher for longer on commodities. Can I ask you, absent the invasion of uh, Ukraine, uh, probably – we wouldn't be dealing with the energy component of the inflation and issue. And ag agriculture too. And agriculture too. Um, I own a stock that just went down 30% today because dairy prices are up 25%. Like absent that, would transitory, the word, be looked at as less stupid than it is now? Like, Because I feel like the Fed was kind of there. Like they were moving too slowly, obviously. Yeah. But at least they had identified the problem. And then in February when Russia – invaded Ukraine, it, it like doubled or tripled the the extent of the problem overnight. And it would be very hard for a Fed to plan for that. I think, but I think, look, we had, we had two longer term, multi-year research theses about what was happening in the world at the end of last year. One is crypto is super interesting, but growth is ridiculously overvalued, right? And the other is that we are coming out of a 10-year bear market in commodities, and we're going to be in a golden age of commodities for two reasons. ESG has twisted, if you will, the, the commodity demand mix. So we're buying more you know, green metals and things like that. Yeah. But we still, the companies have you know, gotten much more capital discipline. Um, and so it's a perfect setup. I mean, it's kind of a silly industry commodities, right? Because it's always mean reverting, you know. So, but we we tighten the supply. Is the problem, though, they we should be we out there drilling more. It was more. a great setup. We yeah. tighten supply and demand. The world economy keeps growing. So we were saying you're in a multi-year, you know, you know, kind of secular because of the energy transition bullish cycle for commodities. Yeah. So yes, Ukraine kind of accelerated it, but I think we were there anyway. Okay. And I still think commodity stocks are cheap because I do think it's higher for longer and they're paying out huge dividends, right? They're gushing cash. This, I think what's weird is I think they're pricing in some kind of political risk. Like someone goes down to Texas and says, this is not okay that you guys are making all this money. Well, Katie Porter and her whiteboard in, uh, in Congress 
Congress is making a lot of noise about. Let me get this straight. The raw material to make gasoline is oil. That goes up X amount. Why aren't you just passing that along? Why are your profits also increasing 20 30%? And I know there's a good answer for that and what she's doing is grandstanding, but that is going to get louder if it's going to if it's going to cost you 5 6 dollars uh, a gallon for an extended period of time. They can't keep um, those expanding profits without a lot of political unrest. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I think that's yeah. being priced in. That's it's keeping a lid Otherwise, on it. why else would they be so cheap? Yeah. I mean, I know energy stocks are up. Like, I look at the tape, right? But still, like some of the base metals companies, I just think, you know, given, well, given the supply, forgetting politics, given the supply-demand setup, which is multi-year, and you can't fix it. You can't spin up right. an LNG export facility in three days. Right. You know, it's not 3D printer. It's not know? cloud computing. You can't just put more servers. Right. I'm with you. Right. You, you, know, you know what? So that's why I think it's a great multi-year setup. Now you have to just look at how things are priced. Would you still feel that way if Putin said tomorrow, yes. mission accomplished? Yes. You would. The biggest, the biggest global risk is a China recession. Okay. Which that, and that's priced in, I think, over the last couple of weeks because China's in a recession. Yeah. I think stocks bottom when this, when this chart bottoms. John, throw up the one from Bespoke. They're showing headline CPI has only been weaker than expected three times in the last 24 months. That's wild. Meaning- we keep coming in hotter than expected. And once this bottoms, stocks are going to rip. So th- so this is showing that since it looks like 2020, headline CPI – wait, I don't understand what it's showing. It's showing headline CPI has only been weaker than expected three times in the last 24 months. That is such a weird thing to chart that way. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that strange? I, I understand what they're saying. So we're looking at 24-month periods, okay? Obviously, 12 would be – Right in the middle, one out of every two, it's hotter or colder. Okay. So we're saying it's persistently coming in hotter than expected. Hot, uh, upside surprises to inflation. Yeah. yeah. But but when you have a exactly. regime change in the markets, right? It takes a while I mean, to Barry's up, right? probably writing a book on this right now, right? Yeah. People are slow to adapt to the new regime. So I can tell I, you, you're living I, in the old regime. I can tell you, Barry's not writing a book right now. <laughs> so I, I just said, yeah, I just said this that. When people touch a hot stove, they learn right away. Instant feedback. I'm I'm done. If you've bought the dip 10 times and on the 11th time it doesn't work, you're like, oh, that's weird, whatever. On the 12th time, what's – it takes but you – But you just showed me the chart where they don't get it. No, but I'm saying uh, it takes you until – we're living this right now. People are still in denial. Yeah. It takes you until the 15th time of it not working or the fifth time of it's not working where you're saying, holy shit, this is a different market. So your point is eventually those expectations will catch up to reality. We don't know how long it takes. But, but these estimates on CPI are going to get higher – and then the reality will fail to meet them at, at some point. But it could be a long time. Look, I, I think arguably, okay, the 10 years gone to 3%. You know, one of my colleagues thinks bonds rally from here. First of all, this has been such a straight up move in interest rates. Like, it's just wild. take a break. And if people are worried about recession in China, the US, they should come down. When are they going to buy bonds? I think that's a dangerous play because the other group, <laughs> part of our research thing says 10, it's going to be 4 plus percent on the 10-year because you have 2% growth and 2% plus inflation, that's 4%. Bonds caught like a bit. How do you stay less than bonds 4%? Caught a, bonds caught a bit this week, and they seem to be – they're not rallying. Barely, barely dude. I mean, barely. Barely. But, yeah, but they stopped flat. going there. They're flat. They're flat. 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 <laughs> that's a heroic. Flat. 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 Well, here, this is from Jason Zweig. Almost never has the U.S. bond market lost as much money in the first four months as it has in the first four months of 2022. 
Uh, Long-term Treasury bonds lost more than 18% this year through April 30th. That surpasses the previous record of 17% in the 12 months ended March 1980. Uh, Listen, they stopped going down. Oops, uh, not, not hold on. The broad bond market has performed worse so far in 22 than in any complete year since 1790. <laughs> that was a tough year. Very, um, yeah, but 1791 was super bullish. Hold on. Right, back right, to right. 1842 when a deep depression approached rock bottom. So back then, bonds went down in the depression, which is something that you said. Okay. Uh, bonds at three, 10 year at 3%, it seems to have backed off. I don't, like, I don't think three and a quarter, anyone would say, is the top that we'll see. But it's nice that the buyers at some point came in because January, February, March, there were no buyers in sight or April. Um, when you talk to people about the bond market, what do you try to make them understand? There's only one buyer. There's only one buyer. I got to yell at you? No, I get it. There's only one buyer. No human being I met ever owned a treasury. Yeah, but what about it the ETS? It was only the Fed. The it was the he- Fed was hoovering up these bonds. But, Let them get out of the market, and then you can talk to me about buyers. But what about, I, okay. There are no buyers in IEI, B- in SHY, in... Okay. They're not big. But I think everything prices off at treasuries. I agree with you. So let's just let's get the Fed out of the markets, and then we can get some kind of transparency. Let's get them out Otherwise, so we can get them back in. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> They'll be back very quickly if they, if, they get, if they get out fully in June. I predict they're back By the way, the, te- the tenure's at 2.8, so it's coming down, finally. Yeah, bullish. Uh, what, what's the biggest misunderstanding that you find when people talk about um, the Fed's approach to doing rate hikes and shrinking the balance sheet simultaneously? That, to me, seems like there was no rush for 16 months, and now you have to do the whole thing in three months. What are we thinking? But they're going to do that. They're going to do 50 basis points twice at the same time as they start cutting all of their exposure to the bond market. What, is it necessary, do you think? What are people missing? I think people are missing this, the, the, how important their balance sheet actions are in the market. Okay. I mean, I said it a couple times so, now. So, so, mu- but so I much mean, emphasis if I, there's on the one rate. takeaway of today yeah, yeah. is that's happening in June. So the, nice to look at stocks every day, but what is the Fed doing in the fixed income markets? Will that be orderly? I think that's, that's the news of what the summer, if you will. What if it's, what if it's will. not? How quickly do they, how quickly do they come out and, and try to- They stop it. How fast? Oh, I think they do really fast. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's. But I'm on, you know, I'm on one camp. Hey, uh, the Fed seems to really hate Joe Biden <laughs> because it, we used to say, "Oh, the Fed's political," but this Fed is not political. This Fed doesn't care what happens to him, and he is dead in the midterms. I mean, this might be the toughest midterm setup for any party. Uh, the midterms are always tough if you're in the White House, but this is a really bad one. I think the Fed just doesn't want to go down in the history books of the Fed as being the worst Fed ever, right? That they totally missed transitory. They got, they just, they've just missed it so badly. So they're really fighting for their own reputation. Janet Yellen was out today talk, uh, in Congress talking about a soft landing is, you know, no problem. We got this. Uh, she's been in both seats. One of, the, one of the few people to be a Treasury Secretary that was also leading the Fed should we have confidence that when she's saying that, that there's like some uh, something going on behind the scenes that we're not aware of and things will be OK? Or is she just another person saying her opinion? No, I think that's their base case. If you define soft landing as unemployment, as jobs, yeah, right? They don't care about asset prices. Remember, they don't care about us as investors. They could. Right. So, yeah, I think it, it, I think the I think the labor market could adjust slowly enough as the liquidity is coming out of the system, 
where the Fed has got rates to where they want and the labor market is still okay. And that's, that's my definition of a soft landing. It could be really tough for investors, but that's possible. And then the Fed has ammo to come back into the markets if the economy does slow down, right? They can cut rates again or they can start doing, you know, some, some bond market intervention. Isn't this a pro- That's what they want to get. They want to reload their ammo. Mm-hmm. Right now, you know, they, This sounds they like this ammo. is a progressive's dream come true. If they can look back at the end of the year and say, we beat the shit out of Wall Street and employment is full. Like, it seems kind of – everyone's wages went up big. Everyone can quit their job and get a new one. And the fat cats paid the price. I mean, it's the it one seems- thing they don't understand, though, is the inflation impact on everyone's pocketbook. Say more. Well, just they that, that's what they miscalculated politically. The reason they're so underwater is people can't stand paying 200 bucks to fill up their I think they're more F-150. mad at that than almost anything yeah. going on right now based on the service. And it affects the, 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 the pocketbook of the household. Everything is, is going up. And that's, you know, like food. <laughs> It's crazy. If, okay, we're gonna get into what what are we doing this? I want to. I just want to show one more chart. Let's okay. Let's look at this share of CPI components with six percent plus year over year price growth. Holy moly! It's everything. It's it. It just it started in supply chain disruption, airlines, chips, and now it's just everything. No, it's next the chart, wrong chart. Next chart. Next chart. Please. There it is. Oof. There are ninety five components of CPI, and this is showing that sixty five of them. Uh, no, sixty-five percent. Sixty-five percent of the components have six percent or higher year-over-year year growth. In, price even growth. In, in when prices were going up, and the GFC was forty. But there's only, to, to, not to oversimplify. But the one thing that matters is wage wages I because agree. wages that's sticky. That's sticky. Right. Yeah. Agriculture, six months, right. you're going to have more right. of wheat or right. whatever it is or soy. You know, that's fixable. You Everything can't pay else is fixable. But once job. it gets into their mentality of I want a, you know, a wage increase because my cost of living is going up, and then never, they're passing on the their, – their, their, You're not going to pay them less next year right. when inflation comes down. Right. And, and you just get into that psychology and that's really you what think we're there? the Fed does not want. Do you think that's now irreversible? We're getting closer. I, I've been saying until the second half of this year, we won't know. They call this the wage price spiral. So you have to pay me more because my rent is more. Right. And my rent is more because everyone else is being paid more too. Exactly. Right. And, and how do you get out of that? Real, you need a recession Volker, to get out of that. You need Paul Volcker. Okay. We don't have Paul Volcker. Okay. Uh, inverse ETFs. Fan? Not a fan? Inverse ETFs? Yeah. Not a fan. Not a fan. Do you not like them for the same reason I don't like them? Because it's hard to make money in them? Yeah. Well, because the longer you hold them, the less of a chance, (laughs) unless you nail a trend perfectly. Yeah. Uh, But are they useful for some people, for hedge funds? Like, who uses these well, if anybody? Yeah, I think short-term traders. Okay. You don't have a a place. Yeah, they have a place. I am really, I mean, obviously, right? You know, we create financial products. Um, and, and FINRA has come out with this uh, proposed rule of further regulating complex products, which includes, by the way, target date funds and closed-end funds. And I think let, let the individual investor – you know, we have individual investors in our ETFs that came from Wall Street that yeah. were prop traders. How can you tell them they can't trade complicated products? Yeah. <laughs> They're as sophisticated They're as anyone sophisticated in the as world. Right. So I just think that's an artificial distinction to try to protect individual investors from themselves. You don't know who those individual investors are unless you're going to start doing – you can only trade these things in accounts of accredited investors, which if you wanted to, you could do that. 
But then everyone would shriek, democratize finance. Let me lose my money like a man, right? So, Well, uh, XIV didn't go very well. Why is that this? Was the, that was the what are we saying? What are we so saying about this? Look at, John, throw up the chart of the SQQQ. This is uh, the ProShares Ultra Short. This, uh, just uh, assets under management. Ultra short NASDAQ. Just an asset gathering machine. This is up from, it looks like, $500 million to $3 billion at, at since the, 18. At, at the start of the year, it started the year with, uh, a, I don't know, a billion in, in this thing. Now it's at three. Does this change your mind at all? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh how did, I mean, this this doesn't <laughs> obviously do, nothing ends well, but this really and the fees you well. didn't even put the revenue on here. Yeah. Actually, the fees are like ninety basis points or something insane. But listen, it's a hell of a product if you catch the market trend perfectly and you know how to exit. Okay, now look at if you look at like TQQQ, the Ultra Pro, like the the the, the bullish one, it's eleven billion. <laughs> really, eleven? In Can you show share price of that? Long Nasdaq. Yeah. What is the price of that? Zero. Not well. It's not. It's in a seventy percent drawdown. They should do a split. Seventy. <laughs> they should do a reverse split. Uh, all right. Not a big fan of those. I don't blame you. I'm not either. Uh, the stock market is the economy for private investors. Ah, okay. Last, private companies. So, so now, so there's a big distinction here. Last week we were talking with Matt Phillips, saying that the stock market is not the economy. That might definitely be the case for the this period that we're about to enter. But the stock market is the economy for private companies because they rely on their stock price to hire employees to raise money. So I think the stock market in private companies is the economy. And Angelus did this thing this week about valuations that they're seeing. And we have not slowed down yet in an early stage. Throw up this chart. So seed from January to to today to April Went from an average of twenty million to twenty one. Series A went from seventy two to seventy five. B went from two eighty three. There was a slowdown in B. Now the later stage, you go. Sure, valuations are definitely coming down. You you invest in private companies, right? Uh, in in uh, yeah, in the crypto area. Are you having different conversations than you were a month ago or two months ago? Not yet. Not enough yet. It hasn't happened yet. I mean, to me again, twenty times revenue, Josh. Yeah, I was throwing my hands up. Well, yeah. We had follow-on rights to company. I was like, that's a great company, but it's valued at $7 billion. Can I it, can I, but could I flip it on you? Let's say it was valued at five times revenue. Wouldn't you be like, what's wrong with you? Why doesn't anybody want you? No. Because you, you, you might not personally think that way, but wouldn't other funders look at that and say, these guys have no heat? Like, these guys have nothing going on? No. You don't think you you don't. I think. Well, I th- I think. Look, I'm not an expert, but I think the private investing industry understands that you know there's ebbs and flows to valuations because they've all been around, and that that's just true, right? There's there's a lot of VC money raised, or VC money is scarce, and so I don't think so. Do you agree with Michael's premise though that the stock market almost acts like a thermostat, and when it's cooling off, you're going to ultimately see that same that same temperature take hold yeah. uh, like da- all down the line yeah. and probably it hits pre-seed last because it's like the, the caboose. It's like, right? Yeah. But it's not vice versa. The startup market doesn't dictate stock market value. Well, because let's see, there's no revenue multiples. There's no revenue. It's, a, it's, yeah. it's, it's an idea. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but the, like there's, the question is, is there a mechanism for equilibrating between the two markets? And I don't really think there is. The, I mean, IP, the IPO process is the mechanism. Yeah, but that's really slow, right? Um, but, I mean, sh- should a VC, right, Sequoia, take one of these tech companies private? N- they don't do that. That's not their shtick, right? So you ha- that's why you have these disconnects. Oh, back and forth, you mean? Yeah. 
I mean, if I've got a lot of money as a VC, the private market's expensive. I want to buy cheap, right? The public markets are cheap. I go in the public I mean, markets. We've seen, I feel like we've seen Silver Lake uh, do things like no, no, take they, Dell off the market. Yeah, right. Okay. But um, we're not seeing a ton of that, and it's not for the at, pure growth and names. That's it's for the companies going through transitions like Dell was. Right. Right. So uh, but valuations are back at pre-pandemic levels for, for venture, the venture capital index. I don't know if this is calculated, but this is from uh, the, a Polish chief economist. I'm, Wait. I'm forgetting his name. Definitive venture uh, capital index. The index, I guess, whatever companies in there are, all the venture-backed startups. Yeah, it's designed to measure, what does this say? The value of the U.S.-based venture capital private company universe in which venture capital funds invest. So, okay, they're back to pre-pandemic. exactly like the NASDAQ. I was about to say, the Russell 2000 is back to pre-pandemic highs. It stands to reason that venture would be too. Why not? Right, and this is more risky than the Russell. That's interesting data. I mean, I look, I, I focus more on blockchain and there there's- There's no I, slowdown. There, well, maybe now there will be. There, it's yeah. not that chart. Yeah. That's not that yeah. chart. It's I, come down, but not not to pre-pandemic. Because there's you, so much money that's been raised in that ecosystem, right? So they have so much dry powder. I'm glad you mentioned that. How much dry powder do they really have? Because I'm reading about net worths of the billionaire founders of the biggest companies in crypto- being like cut in half in the last two months. And I know it's not permanent and obviously we're going to moon again, but like right <laughs> now, I don't know that there's as much dry powder at like, look, you raise a fund, you raise a fund. Then you go make a capital call. Is everybody definitely in? And how much Apple do they have to sell in order to really be in? So that's going to affect blockchain and non-blockchain startups alike, but I don't feel like it would be different. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're right. So you're bearish now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no. You, you know. So, all right. There was a, an article. We uh, hope. We hope. That's just part of the adjustment mechanism for making well, I was these say, companies you're a buyer. cheaper. Right. You're a but buyer. But all VC, so. VCs, remember, are buyers too. They don't deploy. You can't deploy. They raise $2 billion. First of all, they don't. to your point, you started a, a $2 billion fund on January 1st. You're only taking a percent of that from your investors, mm. right? And you're only spending it. I mean, they did accelerate the spend during the pandemic, I think, a lot of the, the growth investors I know. But uh, you can still slow it down. Why so, do you they, know, why we, do they we do have that? a mutual friend, Howard Lindzen, right? Yeah. And he and I give a, a little ham and egg talk together in, in March. And I was like, Mr. Cash and Mr. Cash. He was like, I, I sat on my hands last year, right? And now he's rubbing his hands because he wants to start deploying capital. So they do have that ability to spread it out. So he's, he's happy. Shout out to Howard. He actually, he was on the show and he said exactly what you said. He said, like, I'm not in any rush. My LPs understand that I can't be pushed to give somebody money just because everyone else is doing it. He's like, I mean, he's seasoned. He's not 27. Yeah. He's 87. So that <laughs> makes perfect sense. Uh, so, all right. Dan, one of the, wait, we're going to do the SoftBank thing really quickly. One of the price setters for venture capital and growth tech, I mean, we have to, we have to say what it is. Masayoshi Son, uh, SoftBank reported a $20 billion loss for the first quarter, which is like a lot of money. And I understand it's mostly his. So what? It's not all his. Um, here's his, here's his quote. In terms of personality, I do like to play offense. We know. Uh, but with the pandemonium of COVID-19 and war in Ukraine, he understands that now is the time to play defense. Quote. Too late. When it rains. You, no, he slowed down in, in fairness like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> he said, quote, when it rains, you open an umbrella. Okay. If Masayoshi's son's umbrella is open, that's like, 
I'm not saying it's a signal of a bottom. I'm just saying like that is very indicative that times have changed and probably aren't going to go back for quite a while. Uh, do you think that's like a fair a fair statement? Because that's one of the biggest risk takers in the world. I think, A, it's, as Michael says, late. And second of all, I think that's just because he doesn't have a lot of money, right? Didn't he make a lot of money in Alibaba or something like Tons. that? So have you looked at Alibaba stock recently? Yeah. He doesn't have, he doesn't have any money to spend. Of course, the, of course he's not spending thing. money. He Tiger, doesn't, same thing. Their biggest winner was JD.com. Yeah. Same thing. Sun, so Sun these said, guys are getting crushed. Sun said SoftBank's safe driving in recent months has solidified its financial position. He explained it. He did a slide deck. And the first slide was questions about SoftBank, question mark. <laughs> uh, he explained in a slide the company has allocated 2.9 trillion yen of cash or roughly twice the 1.3 trillion yen due for bond redemptions in fiscal 22 and 23. Also scaled back investments dramatically, doling out only 2.5 billion in January to March, down from 10.4 billion in the fourth quarter and 33 billion in one quarter in fiscal 2018. So he still he still put two and a half billion out on the street in the first quarter. So I guess that's slowing down <laughs> for him. So that doesn't sound like an umbrella. Two thousand twenty one was the outlier. Anybody he had funded at any valuation that was the outlier. Um, I think that we I am experiencing my version of the dot com bubble bursting. I don't. Not, I'm not saying for not not that the economy is going to go there, but th that's what this is. What else do you call this? Where Coinbase? All of these names are literally down seventy percent going into earnings, and they fall twenty percent after the after, after hours. That's what this is. Um, but I don't think that this is going to be 2002. So Dan Primack uh, at Axios wrote, uh, what a reason why it's not going to be 2002. He said, um, the int internet tech was still fairly new in 2002. So the crash caused many potential founders and investors to question whether launching a new company even made sense. Thus, a major deal flow deterioration for VC funds. Today, there are no such doubts. So I think we can see a material slowdown, but I don't know that this is going to like stop people from investing in SaaS companies. Nobody thinks the internet's going or away. fintech or crypto. But you know, so this is what I talked with Howard about too. You know, this concept of zero to one, which is you know getting a startup going. I like to focus on one to two. It goes back to the wide moat, you know, ETF concept. You want to have a company that's more than one product, right? So Robinhood was cheap trading or zero cost trading, right? That's great. Okay, get a lot of customers. Then what? That's not a company, right? That's the zero to one. So how do you give, give your customers other products, other services that, are, that give you a competitive pricing mode? And that's where Robinhood is. Um, you know, that's where Coinbase is, right? In fact, you, you almost know that Coinbase is going to get decreasing revenue from their customers just because there's going to be more competition. So, But I, even if you can do that, it doesn't guarantee success because I think SoftBank, oh, excuse me, SoFi, is that version of Robinhood where they say, okay, we have like people that we're helping with student loans. Let's do credit cards. Let's do bank. Oh, you know, we'll get a bank charter. Um, let's do trading. Yeah, we'll do crypto. Let's do automated asset management. They're, they're bolting all these things on and they do have a growing customer base. Wall Street doesn't give a shit. That's a $4 stock. I that because I, I would argue they're they're desperately, which they should be doing, desperately trying to get from one to two, but it's not easy is yeah. my point. Like he focuses on zero to one is hard. I mean, one to two is hard. Yeah. Do you ever you look know? at any of these fintechs? You ever look at any of these fintechs and say there's too many of them? So I think that's kind of a problem right now. There's a lot of them that do the same thing and they're spending tons of money on marketing and customer acquisition. And it's not clear that that's good for anyone. But yeah, like one of my colleagues calls it the race to zero. Yeah. Right. Because like, yeah, what, what is. How many buy now, pay later companies do we need? 
Yeah, there's four, there's four of them. It seems like two, two. How many. many? This is not fintech, but DraftKings, Caesars, uh, FanDuel, Penn Gaming. How many do we need? And I think there was investors were willing to subsidize growth, 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 lose money, lose money, lose money. When money doesn't cost anything, who gives a shit? Pay me back today. Pay me back in ten years. What's the difference? It's you, over. Do you right. see a lot of me twos in the blockchain space, similarly to the the vanilla fintechs? Uh, you know. The blockchain to me, you know, this is not a direct answer, but it's still first inning. And, and, the, and then the second thought that I wanted to add to this fintech conversation is uh, blockchain can be like the yeast inside. Like you can use the technology, but it doesn't have to be like it could be wrapped within something else. Right. So like you could have a music streaming company that uses blockchain like Audius does and no one knows and no one cares. Yeah. Right. So I think um, fintechs will, will evolve and some of them will use crypto, but more than just crypto trading, they might use the technology, but no one really cares. Okay, so, so. It's, it's too early to say, like, it's too crowded in any one, one space, and you don't really know who's going to end up doing what. Just, what are you betting on, like, people, for the most part, in that space? Because you're not, you're not, like, looking at two different algorithms and saying this one's right. you got to be betting on jockeys, I feel like. Well, software development teams, right, that can, yeah, so, yeah. That can solve a problem that needs to be solved for a longer period of time. Okay. Uh, what's this? Watch okay. what they okay. do, not what okay. they say. All right. The NFIB small business outlook, general market conditions, or general business conditions, I should on say. On screen. Fell off a freaking cliff. Nobody is bullish. John, you're getting fast. I'm just saying. Nobody is bullish. Um, what is this? Small business outlook, general business conditions. Well, because they're getting crushed. Yeah. Right? I get it. This is <laughs> this is the worst but in these, but, 17 years? But Is that what this is saying? Yeah. This is worse than the financial crisis. Who are they calling? Small businesses. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's like a sentiment indicator. Yeah. So, you know, we don't know what's really driving their thinking. It could just be, I can't hire enough people and I have to pay them too much. Yeah. Right? So, it could just be the labor market that we're talking about. It could be, you know what? I looked at my, you know, my, uh, my, my, brokerage account and it shrunk. And so I'm in a bad mood, right? I don't what, what it's sort of all these things I are wrapped up that. in that. You, right. In, you call one of these people on a landline in the middle of the day, guys running a dry cleaner and you're like asking questions about how do you feel? How do I feel? Like my cost of everything is up. Everyone quit on me. My stock portfolio looks like trash. Okay, but at the same at the same time, look what people are spending. And I don't know that this is just inflation. I'm sure that some of it is that things are getting more expensive. Look at Liz Ann Saunders tweeted, consumer credit ballooned in March by most on record. $52 billion versus uh, 25 estimated. Bad. Wait, what is this? So people, I'm sorry, I'm, so, I'm so, so slow. This is consumer credit. Bad. Why? It's, it's, it's too much, right? Bad. To me, I mean, to me, that's a sign of this is like, the gas prices are too high. I need to leave a higher balance on my Kindly credit overheating. No, no, no. Oh, the opposite. It's my cost of living. I, I was not squeezed at all for the last two years because we got stimmy checks okay. and I had job. And now my, co you know, my costs, my household costs are going up, right? And so I'm not paying my, my gas, my car, you know, gasoline bill with cash. So people are I'm putting half it. of it on my credit They're card. They're outsourcing it to their credit card. Yeah. And that's, that's like a sign of weakness. With, I had this debate with somebody. Like, She's like, People have different views. This is how I look at She's this. She's like, the consumer is so strong. Look how they're spending. I'm like, they want a treadmill. They have no choice. They don't want to be spending like this. That's what it costs now. I don't know that, that we're reading that correctly. 
to just look at consumer spending absent the context of prices is crazy to me. I think you, I think that's a really important point. If people are shifting things to credit cards that they were using cash for, that's not great. So, so it's not a panic button, but yeah, yeah. I agree. I completely prior agree with you. to a week ago, I was really surprised with the resiliency in Bitcoin and Ethereum relative to the overall market. You would think that if the Nasdaq's down twenty five, I don't know, I would think that like ETH is down forty, and that wasn't happening. Well, now it is. And I wonder, like, obviously nobody knows how systemic this Terra Luna breakdown is going to be. And you know all about stablecoins. You wrote a piece in, in Barron's a couple of months ago. What the hell's going on? Well, I certainly don't know everything. So, uh, and it's hard to keep well, up you know more in, than we do. In, in crypto. So let's just talk about what happened yeah. and then maybe what the implications are. Uh, so Terra Luna is a... Uh, this is, I was told, overly simplistic de you know, description, but Good. it's an algorithmic stable coin, which put a different way, there's not a, a dollar of assets sitting behind the dollar of stable coin for UST, right? There is for Tether, there is for the other Allegedly. biggest. No, okay. it is. I, okay. I, I will guarantee you, you there is. No, I, I pretty much know it. Okay. Um, I've seen the accounts. <laughs> okay. So, um, so I'm less worried about that. But this was always a, a trust kind of game that the economic system, the reserve currency would kind of bail out that, right. that link to the dollar. Um, so it's, it's like a money market fund, not having any assets behind it, just kind of like, trust, trust me. Being yeah, trust, the, trust well, the computer. Well, well none of us trust on. computers. The algorithm in question, they're relying on market arbitrage so that if one goes up too much, the other one will sell it and buy right. and, and they were relying on buy buyers and sellers basically to balance that, right? Right. Okay, go on. But but let's leave that mechanism aside. And I think Matt Levine and a lot of other people, you know, ourselves included, were pretty skeptical about this. Um, I, I'm I like I'm too I go confused through to be skeptical. Yeah, well, I can't figure it out to even say I'm a skeptic. So I just all right, go ahead. I'm a simplistic guy. Like I want <laughs> assets. In, I want equity yeah, yeah. In, in a firm to you know that that that, that does trading. I like balance yeah, sheets, especially when the when the return is zero. You're telling me my best case well, is I get my dollar back. And and so <laughs> what they were offering is yields, right? Anchor the reserve. Okay. You know, it was offering yields of close to twenty percent. Yeah, that does that make any sense to no. you? No. No. I mean, they're not so yeah, smart. Look at, look, when you go to Anchor, I mean, it's almost too much. I feel bad because a lot of people are getting burned Wait, here. But what the f*** is this? this? So on Anchor, this is where almost all of the UST trading takes place. And they provide 20% APY, or they did. And when you go into this, it says better savings. And it's 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 sad. And I, I forget who wrote this, but I'm going to steal somebody's point. Is that a Ponzi scheme that promises stability... Like is, a cash substitute. Is much, much, much more dangerous than a Ponzi that promises a big return on your investment. Because people understand that if there's high reward, there's probably risk. If the illusion of stability is way more predatory. And I'm not saying that this was that specifically. I'm just saying generally speaking, the illusion of stability is dangerous. But it, on its face, I'm giving you 19% yields. That's like so – that's such a well, ridiculous – Well, we would have been less egregious to say we're giving you – 4% yields and the prevailing money market fund is 50 basis points. Like to me, that's every bit as egregious. If you know the regulators the re don't give a shit. They're going to they're look at either one and say this is bad. Well, now but, they do. That's no, fine. But listen, anyway, my point is that there was billions of dollars of, you know, assets but trying to earn a yield. 18. Right? Like, you're right. 
and they just got hair clipped like 90%, right? And so there's pain. And whether it was in crypto hedge funds or market makers, we don't know, I think, yet who has really suffered that pain. Mm. So the real question is, is there eco, is, there's ecosystem liquidation, mm. right? That's what's caused yep. the fall in prices because you sell what you have to sell. Yes. And it also makes you second guess everything related to it. Yep. So if you're if, not to crypto, I don't think to so? people in the crypto world, like, like this was like a Dogecoin kind of thing. But to newcomers, right? there were they a, knew it lot, was a, joke a lot and, of yeah. skeptics. Like I would say very few people in the crypto world really 100% said. But is that really but The whole tr- game was you get in early in these things, you earn the outsides, and then you get out before the other. But what know, percentage of people in crypto are crypto natives? For people that are outside, for people that only see headlines, this just makes them even more skeptical. I'm, I don't. I don't mean to be, you know, overly optimistic here, but I will say that I don't think there are a lot of, I'll call it, traditional investors that would be sucked into this. Maybe they're kids. Sucked into what, Luna? Into, into this Dude, kind of Dude, like got a tattoo of Luna on his shoulder, like recently. No, I know. So he, he, so he can't be the only one. Well, there was a lot of big funds that were in here. I'm just saying, no, but but he, again, is my point, is a crypto native. But he's not. He's Fortress Investment Group, and you know that. <laughs> he's He acts like a crypto native. He dresses like it, but he's well, a but finance get, but, guy, but, but smart Galaxy, guy. But Galaxy's crypto. I mean, they're the biggest crypto investment bank. I understand, but let's not call him a crypto native. He wouldn't call himself that. You don't think so? I mean, I I don't. He's I, educated in crypto. He's right? smarter than a lot of crypto natives. I'm not saying he's not sophisticated. Right. I'm just saying he's been in real markets with hedge fund, macro trades. Like he's done real shit. He's not a guy that woke up two years ago and started trading coins. Right. So, you know. Listen, I guess my – in the crypto ecosystem, there's not a lot of trans, public transparency because none of these firms, whether the market makers or whatever, are public. We don't know what their books look like. Yeah, that's like, what right? I like about it. We know <laughs> – I mean – Vanek knows a little because we've invested with some of them, but right. like in general, even we don't have a full picture. So the question is, is there some kind of cascading or systemic risk to the system? We're having systemic liquidation, but that doesn't really mean that any of the anchor players in the ecosystem blow up. Well, this, but that, but that is, that's, the that's risk, what we but, have to see. Yeah. Like it, it, you know, frankly, it's okay if a $10 billion hedge fund loses a billion dollars on, 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 on UST, right? That's not systemic. Right. Right. Systemic it's because would they're be, diversified enough. Systemic we, would be we find out JP Morgan traders are doing something and then all of a sudden there's an uproar. But I, that's I, not I don't want to I don't want to name names. We're all making like, that like, up. But we're all no, no, that no. Up. But I mean within the ecosystem, right? But there are some leverage providers in the system and Berkshire and, Hathaway. And we, and yeah, we, Buffett. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, I mean in the crypto ecosystem. You wrote about uh stable coins and I wrote I read your piece today. But you did this in it's brilliant, right? Very no, but it was very apropos. I, I guess it was very prescient. There's not a good regulatory regime around these things, and that's your point. You were saying these look and act very much like money market funds. Why are the regulators giving such confusing guidance? And I'm just going to quote you. You're very quotable. You said this is February, but even though stable coins strongly resemble funds, there is no regulatory consensus to treat them as funds. A stablecoin paper issued by the U.S. government's President's Working Group on Financial Markets in November reflected the regulatory confusion and made some odd recommendations. What do you think should be happening here? Uh, I think the SEC – so take Circle, right, which has a, you know, a, a stablecoin 
uh, USDC that is uh, that is backed by Treasury securities, right? It's just like a money mar- ETF money market fund. In other words, for every dollar they issue a stable coin, there's stuff behind it. Right. Why doesn't the SEC just say, look, it looks like an ETF. Let's just call them up and say, why don't you guys just file as, and, uh, and we'll give you the okay if they want to be pro-innovation. But that way they can take a peek at whether there is these assets. Like okay. everyone, you we were having this back and forth about Tether before. Yeah. Okay, they're offshore, so that's probably not going to happen. But for the onshore stablecoin providers, why make this so hard? Why make it a fight between banking regulators? The SEC should just say, I don't care. You're close enough to an ETF. Come on in. Let's look at your collateral. It would have to be, you know, you don't need a lot of regulation around this. You'd have to have... Um, good close, good close. Finally, yeah, yeah finally. We go, out, just, of, we, we go we, out of closer we, to the highs and lows. We got some buying. What day is it? Thursday? Oh, we're bucking the trend. We're bucking that chart. I'm super bullish now. So <laughs> you, don't think that com- you don't think that conversation has ever happened yet? You don't think like the, the SEC has gone to some of these stable coins and say, we think you're a money market fund or close enough. Let's talk. They haven't greenlit them. Okay. They haven't said, like, I will let you do what you – I will give you the exemptions to the securities laws. Because remember, ETFs always need an they exemption. Weren't, they weren't they should just say, I will publicly give you an exemption if you come on in here Show and us register as a fund. And then you will have to have a, you know, a big four accounting firm look at your assets standing behind your stable. Those are traditional stable coins. Remember – you know, U.S. This whole Luna Terra thing—that was a very different structure. That was kind of this. Okay, USD, more USDC is, to all of our knowledge, backed by actual yes collateral. Yes. So in theory, if everybody wanted to take their money out of Circle, they would. It would be fine. They could yeah. get all their money back. Yes. Same with Tether. Okay. What do you think will happen in the wake of this? Because you know that Gensler is monitoring this stuff. He's very, he's very like hands-on with this stuff. So what do you think is the result? I mean, look, the, the founder of Terra Luna, Do Kwan, is kind of a wild child anyway, right? Yeah, and they as love I said, that. A Regulators lot of people, love that. He, he already, I, I believe the rumor is he was at a, a conference in New York and got served a subpoena while he was on stage. So, so the regulators so are over, so metal. <laughs> the, the regulators are all over that one, I think, and they didn't like it. And it's offshore and they can't do anything about the offshore stuff. What I'm saying is if you green light onshore stuff. Then nobody will need to use that. Right. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I agree. Have, have, has I mean, this, or at least at least in your. But isn't this the same thing? So, with but the, the ETF? problem is the SEC needs to fight against the banking regulators. Mm. Yeah, and I was thinking this morning that this event, while maybe jarring, is hardly shocking and has not shaken my conviction that crypto will be massive in the future, and that Bitcoin will at some point be at a hundred thousand. I think that's probably going to happen. And I was thinking, like, what could what could cause me to change my opinion on this? I don't know because I don't know enough about it. What could cause you to question your conviction about crypto being bigger in the future than it is today? What would have to happen? I feel like you're more blockchain than crypto. What's the, well, whatever. No, but well, I, first of all, I'm, I'm definitely pro-Bitcoin in any scenario, which is I just think Bitcoin is going to be a competitor to gold. And it'll, I have higher t- you know, price targets than you. But the same thesis, which is it's being adopted. I don't know why central banks don't buy it, right, as a store of value. Look at so, what it's surviving. So, but my, my right point is, and yeah. it's acting. That's what the cool thing about Bitcoin. It's my, my point about Bitcoin well, is well, Bitcoin well. isn't one thing. It's software, and it's, it's maturing as an asset. It's way different than it was five years ago. I mean, last year, the biggest country pulled the plug on Bitcoin mining, and the network survived. Yeah. Like no one had to call up anyone. The algorithm fixed itself. 
the difficulty rate adjusted, and boom. It's, dude, it's, it's it unkillable. Was, it was anything unkillable. You, anything you want to say about it, you have to admit, it should have died 10 f***ing times in the last I 10 mean, years, Luna and it was buying Bitcoin as its reserve currency. If right? Bitcoin went to 10,000, would you flinch? We're at 28 right now. No. No. I mean, I've been wrong because I said as part of this maturation process, you're going to have 50% drawdowns, not 90%. In you 2017, might flinch. I not said as a baller. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, But let me no, finish, right? So when I said it used to be 90%, that's what you, sh you, know, you shouldn't be surprised. I, I thought that there'd be more institutionals stepping in right around a little bit higher than we are. It's, so but did it's I. close. So did I. It's close. So we'll see. I mean, if it goes to lower 20s, then I was flat out. Like, I, mis I misunderstood. One thing it's not doing, though, let's be honest. It's not giving you non-correlated return stream versus investing in any other technology. And it is definitely not hedging inflation. So you, you mentioned in the same breath as gold. Most of the smart people I end up agreeing with do the same thing. Myself, I try to do that. I try to think of it that way. But it's it's not. So, and you're one of the foremost gold fund sponsors, your firm. So you know a lot of, more about that than I do. Well, did gold hedge inflation in this current environment? No, I don't not think so. not super well. No. I mean, both of them had all time highs last year. So if you took a step back, and I've, I told you inflation is now hitting the U.S. and both these assets hit all time highs, you'd be like, oh, they're doing what they're supposed just to. Lost but Josh looks at the markets every single day, yeah. and then you know, <laughs> no, then, no, no, then Bitcoin correlations. is flat. Bitcoin lost all of its 2021 performance That's as crazy. of this morning. Do you know that? So maybe it started to hedge inflation, but it has not finished the job. <laughs> you know what's the best investment hedge? The dollar. What the hell is happening? How is this possible? The dollar's <laughs> at a 20-year high. That's a pretty good inflation hedge. <laughs> the guess. dollar is weakening and strengthening. So what do you tell people the difference between uh, Bitcoin and gold at, like in recent times? Like how do, you, how do you frame that for people? Well, like I was saying, Bitcoin is a maturing asset. It's not like gold. Like gold is low vol. Like we it, know what it, it is. is. We, yeah. we know what it is. There's no, there's no uncertainty about what gold is, right? Uh, Bitcoin is just – it's being tested. It's, being, it's still being tested. It could be outlawed in the United States easily. You know, mining could be outlawed. So uh, Bitcoin mining. So I just think uh, it's, it's, it's evolving. Don't Josh. you think the industry throws around enough money for politicians now that outlawing it is probably impossible? I think it's physically impossible, but I, no, I don't say never. OK. Um, what what – You know, you I, my, my trivia fact um, – we st Van Eck started the first gold fund in 1968 when gold was pegged at $35 right? an ounce. Wow. Uh, yes. <laughs> that's, my, my, that's my dad. Um, and why did it invest in gold mining shares as opposed to buying gold bullion? Because it was illegal to buy gold bullion back then. I did know that. Nixon, yeah. Nixon made it illegal. Remember you had to buy? No, no FDR. Did. FDR. Oh, FDR did. Yeah. What did Nixon do? He he took us off the gold standard. Yeah, he, he, he reversed standard. that. He yeah. allowed us to buy gold. Oh, FDR made it so that a person couldn't, couldn't have own gold. gold. And like 19... You could, but, but his treasury secretary had a gold coin collection, so you could buy coins. So what Americans bought, Krugerrands and Maple Leafs, right? Until Nixon allowed the, the buying what of gold again. What are Krugerrands and Maple And then everyone bought gold through futures contracts. So every Merrill Lynch office, they had a super, you know, futures principal and everyone had the That's futures license. Yeah. And then we had gold bullion ETFs. I just like to talk about this market history, right? Because it's just interesting. I don't know it at all. So Bitcoin, Bitcoin is evolving too, yeah. right? It's just evolving and it takes decades. It'll take two decades. So I mean, if I like, ask, I'm not worried about you know, its correlation to the NASDAQ in 2022. Like, if I, ask, I don't care. If I ask you a question that probably a lot a lot of people ask their financial advisors, or I'm sure they come up to you and they say, 
uh, is Bitcoin going to get bigger than gold? Is that possible? Like what percentage of gold would Bitcoin siphon away as I don't even want to say store value. You right probably think now, it's inevitable. Right? I think it's happening. Yeah. And, you it's know, happening, my base right. case is two hundred fifty thousand Bitcoin, which uh, Bitcoin, which is basically half the market cap of gold. Like, how could it not do that? But does gold do nothing while that happens? I think it has a drag on it. I think gold has underperformed the last five years because of that. Yeah, hundred percent. So it's the millennial golds, and they don't care about Correct. that. It's the five thousand year history means nothing. Correct. This is people that are digital natives. Like these are people that grew up with an iPhone in their in their crib. Yeah, or so if they you're don't care. stuck in Ukraine, would you rather you know you know walk away with your Bitcoin, or would you rather have to carry gold around? What's your favorite shitcoin for tomorrow? <laughs> how, how do what do we what do we buy? Can you put a buy rack <laughs> on an altcoin for for the audience? But wait, hold on. For real, are you? How, what do you feel about Ethereum? Well, so as a, as a house, we're really into smart contracts, right? That what they call layer one, right? The stuff that, that runs all these databases, because whether it's NFTs or DeFi's, they have to run on a blockchain. So that's layer one. So, uh, I mean, Ethereum has been an unbelievable champ until today, <laughs> but um, it's outperformed absolutely everything. And smart contracts, we've created all these different you know, indices and stuff, but smart contracts have way outperformed the metaverse uh, you know, tokens or the infrastructure tokens or the DeFi tokens over the last 12 months. Could, could you picture... I, that's what I'd buy. Could you picture... Because uh, they have to... One of them has to be a winner. And I also would buy a basket. Like... I, like, it's so early. We just don't know what's going to have to happen with Ethereum. You know, I mean, it's it's the go-to right now, but... You have a $65 billion asset management firm, right-ish? Yeah. Okay. I know it's up and down. Yeah. Uh, could you envision, like, three years from now, having multiple parts of your firm operating on a blockchain and having, have, like, taking efficiencies by, by I, people joke around, tokenizing some aspect of what you do at the product level or even taking some of the inner workings of the firm and moving them to some sort of an open ledger as opposed to Oracle or whatever you run the business on now? Like, that's, how do you feel about the That's how I see utility? the industry evolving. So can you tell us can more about that? Can I give you a little that? bit of a longer answer? Yes. yes. Okay, really so when I, when I came into the business, right, when I was a kid, um, mutual funds, you know, it was a mutual fund company. At the end of the day um, or in the afternoon, you take orders, right? And if you had to buy, it was a blue ticket that you'd write the shares I down, blue tickets. right? And then it, it was red a sales ticket. red. Yep. And you'd add, was, all, add, all, add all those up on a, on a, you know, manually. And at the end of the day, you'd say, oh, Merrill bought X shares of our gold fund, right? So you call Merrill and say, oh, you bought X shares and go, oh, no, it was Y shares. And you go like, all right, let's go through every transaction, Right. So Wall Street started going crazy in the, you know, the 60s and 70s. They had to automate that. So they moved that system to computers. And what would you do? You just automate the ticket system, right? That's not so super efficient. So, you know, now everything wants to trade digitally, right? And it will be tokenized. I think that's the world that we're moving towards. And why not just have straight through processing and instant trade? Like if I sell Apple shares, like why, why do I need to wait two days for the trade to settle? That's, just, that's, a, that's a replication of the old days. That seems inevitable, and right? I, that's, an, that's what instant I'm saying. That's inevitable to yeah. me. Yeah. And, why, and why? So, do, so, you know, it's up to the regulators to what extent they allow that, right? Because and why do they we can dump- slow down that trend, but 
Well, here's a layup question. Why do we need blockchain for instant settlement? What, what solution does that offer that we can't do right now? I think it, that's why I call it the yeast inside. It's kind of like a mixture of things. But what blockchain enables is just to go around the existing gatekeepers so that if we could figure out the technology, we could set up an exchange and trade tokenized Apple shares, right? We don't have to go through Merrill Lynch and require Merrill Lynch's mainframe to be programmed or no, NASDAQ, isn't right? DTC, isn't DTC the problem there? Clearing, yes, clearing and settlement is an issue. But like again, you have a ledger. Yeah. Right. I mean, there are what it gives so us and so the technology bought, so and so sold, to get it. around the existing players. That's the big thing. Or look at payments. Are Visa and Mastercard going away? Probably not. They're just going to adapt like crazy to a world of blockchain. Yeah. But blockchain allows the creation of you know, decentralized finance apps to go around them if they want. MasterCard is making all kinds of investments in, quote, the blockchain. What they're doing is getting an early look at their future disruptors yeah. and getting an equity stake. And they'll pay for patents if they have to. But in the end, they're not going to let themselves be cannibalized by someone else. They'll cannibalize their own business. So is there a consortium of large asset managers like yours that are talking about, hey, just for fun, Let's try to settle a few trades amongst each other on a blockchain and see if the world blows up. Like, is are there experiments like that underway that are serious? Yes, but you can't divulge any details. No, no, I'm not being secretive, but I don't. I wouldn't say that it's being led by asset managers. I'd say they're startup. Uh, you know, in, let's call it. There's two categories. One is throw the old system out. I'm FTX. I'm building it all new, and I'm gonna on my new system. I want to get regulatory approval, but I'm just doing it. Yeah. Totally modern, and I don't want to get into the why their system is better, but they say they have a better way of trading, right? Um, and lower lower risk and lower friction and everything like that. And then there's the other group that says, you know, I'm going to automate the existing system better. Right. right. But that's so slow, right? Like you said, Less let's risk, try though. five trades. Let's do it with a fund with $10 million as opposed to a billion. And it's just like, oh, my God. Whereas look at like the, the blockchain just moves so much faster. Look at NFTs last year. It's just like, boom. It's like wildfire. You and I have a friend in common, uh, Rick Edelman. I was talking to him this week uh, about his new crypto book. He was saying he thinks ETFs are going to be tokens, and there's no there's no benefit to have them as shares. And so I was like, well, what's the difference? Like, like why would that be good? Why isn't the way it works now fine? So I wanted to ask you about that as an ETF provider. Yeah, I mean, certainly I, I, I live in fear of disruption. So the tokenization of ETFs and things like that. But I tell you, what is the magic of an ETF provider? I think it's liquidity. Why is GDX so awesome? I mean, or pick any ETF. GDX is more liquid than the underlying gold mining shares. Right in a bear market, God help you if you want to trade a gold company. Yeah. Right. Uh, in, in a real bear, not you know, not just an equity bear market, but a bear market for gold mining shares. GDX trades like water. Yeah. So the thing about the crypto ecosystem, it doesn't solve for liquidity. Just because I can put a computer code and add a whole bunch of securities together, that doesn't mean the spreads are going to be tight. Yeah. I mean the the the, the irony of of the crypto. Digital asset system, which used to be several trillion dollars and is now what, maybe one trillion, is it, it, it claims it's efficient. It's, a pain it's in the not ass. efficient at Everything all. Everything is spread, harder. No spreads, specifically spreads and liquidity are so wide. Why did these companies like FTX mint money? It's because you're buying Bitcoin in Japan and selling it in Hong Kong and making 20%. Yeah. Not 20 basis points, not two basis points, but tw 20. 
percent. Yeah. What's what's happening? I what, mean, this is several years ago, right? But I'm just that's where the money is being made with the trading firm. So uh, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm giving no. On my but I was going to say here, that's but, uh, but that's why you see you see non crypto native trading firms. They Citadel. They look at it's a it's a honeypot. Citadel just got in. I mean, what are we doing here? We should go and start a trading firm in crypto. <laughs> well, they are cut, they're slitting each other's throats for half a penny in Chicago, in New York. Meanwhile, there are ten and twenty percent spreads you could drive a truck through daily in a in a thousand different coins and protocols. Right. So so ETFs are successful if they work hand in hand with market makers to provide really efficient markets, whether people are buying or selling. Like I'm as happy if people can unload half a billion dollars of one of our ETFs efficiently because I know they'll come back. Right. That's the service we're providing, and so. I'm I'm a little less. I sleep better at night in crypto and ETFs being available and sort of blockchain because I know that people still need to provide liquidity. How would it help you if if let's say we talked about your top five ETFs, if if one of them you tokenized it and all of a sudden a whole ecosystem sprang up to trade ETFs, well, how would that would it benefit you at all or it's just it's a new wrapper for the. the buyers and sellers, and you're agnostic? I don't think for traditional securities, I'm not sure it would help us okay. that much. I think the, the promise- Get a lot more regulatory visits. Well, the promise for asset managers is tokenize, you can tokenize so many asset classes. I mean, this is the promise. I don't know if it'll well, happen. Well, also, if you tokenize Tokenize stuff- real estate, fractionalize art. So I can do all these kind of ETFs that, that you can't do today. But then, Jan, then you're not beholden to the custodians. No more platform fees. Potentially, no, you'll pay new platform be, fees to somebody else. No, there'll be there'll be a custody solution. There needs to be safe keep third party safekeeping and all that kind of stuff. It has yet to be yeah. worked out. All right, before we go into favorites and wrap up, we we cannot not talk about oil and gas. All right, let's let's make this quick. So there's there's a few. Oh, from this from you guys. We we stole this from you. So we're looking. Steal it. We borrowed it. We're looking at like free cash flow yield over the last trailing twelve months. And I don't know. Let's throw the next chart up. I don't know how unusual it is to see EMP names at the top. Next chart, please. I assume that it is unusual. We've got like seventy percent free cash flow yields. What's going on? What's the story here? It's it's uh, it's the companies became way more capital disciplined, and um, you know they're they're now the commodities have, have ripped right, and they're just gushing gushing cash. Are these going to be back into? This is totally flipped. Right. These these EMPs used to remember the whole argument was shale. Shale was great. Then shale was horrible. Right. Because you're just burning cash. You're getting all your production in three yeah. years and and you're not returning any money to shareholders. And now after several years, they became disciplined. And this is the, the great story. This is why the politicians, the politicians might be attacking. Have you them. seen an uptick in trading in OIH or people oh, yeah. like young people now discovering uh, the joys of trading energy stocks that actually go up? You, know you seeing any of that? You know what's funny, Josh, what surprised me is that there was definitely – I thought energy stocks might be the tobacco stocks of the world, right, because of this ESG overhead. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing how fast American investors went into energy companies this year. Like oh, there's no one – no one – this whole ESG – People just talk about ESG. They don't really care about it. In the U.S., I think. It's they check- we have a big European operation. I think it's very, very different. different there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, this is – I mean it's not really a mystery. If you look at the top – 30 names in the S&P 500 year to date, they're basically all energy stocks. Hmm. Why don't you launch more products there? There's not enough. There's, there's probably energy. We like what we have. Yeah. There's, not, there's nothing new to do with oil and gas stocks, you don't think? No. I mean, we, we launched a green metals uh, ETF at the what end What about of last ARC year? for oil? <laughs> <laughs> like, like energy innovation. 
No, not like I, I mean like what about like a hot we, shit we startup do, oil company we do, thing? We do have an ag tech ETF that we launched at okay. the end of last year. Okay. Um, because look yeah. at these names. So top names year to date. Occidental, Valero, Cotera, Marathon, Halliburton, Mosaic, whatever, Hess, Devon, Marathon, APA, Exxon, Chevron, Pioneer, Conoco. I'm not just reading the energy. That's, those are the top performing stocks in this year to date. It's all energy. I can keep going. EOG, Baker Hughes, it's all Schlumberger Phillips, it's all energy. Everyone. You guys raise a lot raise a lot of money. The biggest someone told me this morning the biggest market cap company in the world. Oh, Aramco. Yeah. That makes probably sense. Probably they heard it from you probably. That's, no, not, no, I did not. That's, that's not, not very that. liquid from what I hear. From from from, <laughs> from what I hear. Uh, and the conference calls aren't that much fun. So all time highs, all time highs in, in, in assets for OIH, three point four billion as of today. This thing was one and a half pre pandemic, got as low as holy cow, it got low. <laughs> It got low. Um, like you know, someone on this floor called me about OAH. Really? In the in the spring of 2020, I said it was a little too early. It got to like 300 okay. million, and now it's 10x that. Holy cow! What That's a run. the game, though. That's how it works. You what don't know what's going to be hot when. You need to have the best possible product in place so that when people discover a uh, sector and asset class, you could say, "Hey, we got something for that." Like that's the game, right? And they say they don't ring the bell in this industry. They do. I mean, when oil futures went to zero. Yeah. yeah. Greatest buying opportunity of all time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hard to pull the trigger a, on that trade. It was a little weird, but I mean. I bought Exxon. I made was, 20%. But also, what was the ETF they just wound down right at the bottom? Which which one was that? Was it coal? KOL. That, KOL. That, that got yeah, we killed coal. That was you. Yeah. Yeah. It was you guys. Yeah, but we did it for environmental reasons. I'm sorry I brought that up. I didn't realize it was you. <laughs> okay. You wanted to be ESG. It was tough to roll with a coal fund and do that. I got it. All right. We're gonna do uh we're gonna do favorites. This is the part of the show where we talk about things that you do in your spare time. What do you read? What do you watch? You don't have to give us more than one, but let us into your world, Jan. What's going on? What's what's going on with you these days? Uh well, besides what we've talked about, uh you know, several years ago, I really got into history. Okay. Mainly, mainly for my own ignorance. Um, you know, I really like market structure, and and so uh, I just realized as an econ major, I didn't know who Alexander Hamilton was. Mm. So that really, you know, shocked me. And so I teach a course to our interns. We have about thirty summer interns, and I teach a sixteen. I basically teach them a college course on, you know, American history. In person or in Zoom? Uh, well, it's been in Zoom, but I did it in person before. Okay. So I'll do that again this summer. So that's You should cool. open that up to the public. We, we have some lectures I would watch on, our, it. on our website that are they're not well produced, but uh, You know his grave is 2 miles from here? Yeah. Okay. Have you been have you been down there Trinity yeah. Church? Oh dude, yeah. He's, I'm sure the, you have. he's a rock star. Yeah, yeah. I knew nothing. I read the Turnout book, I don't know, 8 years ago, whatever it was. That was incredible. I don't know that much about him. I didn't see the Broadway show. I I, I have trouble with like people rapping outside of the the, the context of a of did a, it, did of a he, song. Didn't he create the Bank of New York? Yes, and and he started the New York Post. But but what he did is he consolidated. Like we were all the states had borrowed money after the American Revolution. Yeah, he basically yeah. consolidated it, all together. it and, and under the U.S. government. And he you know he he so he created a government U.S. government bond market. Yeah, and we, we had market cycles then. When he was Secretary of the Treasury, he actually intervened in the bond market to support mm. the bond market, like. It, On what basis? How did he have the power to do that? Uh, Washington. Washington. Both literally wrote checks to buy bonds. Like it's, mm. it's like he was he he wrote the book, mm. and and he also like basically talked up the market. He said, "I'm going to intervene." 
But the soldiers, and it that, worked. The soldiers he that, the first, that he bought the first and over, over a five-year period, like the cost of borrowing for the U.S. government, we became a good credit. It was awesome. So that's like, really that's like an early QE almost. Yeah. Hmm. I love it. He should have tokenized it. That's he, where I think he he would have. Wait, 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 wait! Don't say that. Don't say that. Why? Because we came okay. out with okay. an okay. NF, <laughs> NFT last week. What's your NFT? Well, Tell I, you could talk you about it. You just guessed it. What? You just guessed it. So what? we we Hamilton we, NFT. It's ish. So we enabled uh, the sign up. We got uh, twenty thousand ETH addresses in several days. Okay. Uh, and we're going to distribute them over the next two weeks, and then uh, we're going to have this un- uh, reveal. Can like, we link to it? You know, you can it? distribute an NFT. Can we link can to we it? Help or is you? It too can late? we link to it? Is it too late? It's too late. Okay. I mean, the chances of someone getting this yeah. are pretty small right now. But uh, what is it? You get it's, it's on their website. Only one will exist. One person out of all those ETH wallets we, gets out, it. Or? We're going to send out a thousand. A thousand. And we have to do it for free, just to be clear, because we're you know a securities firm. Right. You're not selling it. You're just you're making it available. Absolutely. And we can't make money off of, of future sales. So you have people's ETH wallets so you can drop it in. Oh, that's very cool. Okay. And it's related to what we we're talking about? Or nobody knows? All right. Don't say anything. Okay. Don't say anything. We'll be, we'll be watching for that. Michael, what's your favorite this My week? My favorite thing of the week was watching uh, the Celtics blow a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter last night. Not just because I bet on the Bucks to win, but as a non-Celtics fan, that was a nice – that was fun. Well, I mean, I I really I really feel as though uh, I really feel as though the, the final uh, the playoffs are pretty exciting this year. Do you have a team, or do you don't care that much? Uh, I'm a hockey guy, hockey fan. Okay, what's your team? Islanders, big Islander, time. Islander. But, Islander. but I'm a, I'm New York hockey, so pro Rangers now. Okay, I have season tickets to Islanders. Do you want to go? You want to go to a game next year? Any day. Okay, they're not going to win, but is that okay with you? I, I just hope they pick a good coach. They after need a new trots. coach. That's right. That didn't work, that didn't go so well. Um, I'm going to say that my favorite, my favorite, and this is going to sound a little bit corny, um, but watching the stock market is like really exciting again. Yep. And I understand a lot of it's to the downside, but last year we were up 20% in the S and P and the biggest drawdown was 5%. There were no buying opportunities except in the meme stocks as they spent most of the year crashing. There really weren't buy opportunities in things like Home Depot JP Morgan, Amazon. the types of stocks that I want, Amazon. Amazon, those stocks are now anywhere from 15 to 50% lower. We're getting pitches. We're getting pitches. We're, you're getting pitches. So if you're somebody in your 30s or 40s like I am, like how I lumped in the 30-year-olds with me, if you're somebody in your 40s and you want to start building positions in great American companies, last year you couldn't think straight. Every day they were up. This is not that. You have plenty of opportunities. So wh- I'm falling in love with watching the market again. And- not that I love people losing money, but I do like viable uh, situations. All right, that's all I have for today. Duncan, was there anything we needed to announce? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Oh, well, actually, one thing I was going to say, if people, if people are buying uh, shirts and beach towels and stuff from our shop, um, share photos on uh, social media of you enjoying the stuff. We like seeing that. Great idea. Are we gifting Jan a beach towel for the summer? Uh, we have, <laughs> a big beach we have one right there. Okay. Yeah, we have one right there. All right. So we'll go ahead and do that. Check out idonshop.com for the latest in financial blogger uh, apparel. You will, <laughs> <laughs> you, you will love our you will love our merch. All right, Duncan, thanks so much. Great job. Nicole, John, you guys killed it this week. Special thanks to Jan Van Eck for being part of the show. Did a great job today. Was it overwhelming? Both it was of us. So fun. It's fun though, right? Yeah. Okay. It's we, hard not laughing at your jokes. True. We learned a lot from you today. This is this has been really helpful for us. So we oh, appreciate you coming fine. in. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jan. Uh, where can people follow you? Jan Vanek, number three on Twitter, um, okay. LinkedIn, 
But you are know, you super active on social or just here and there? No, but I put, that's where I post my content, the stuff I like. So I saw you have a blog too on the Van X site. Yeah, I write you know our macro commentary, kind of summarize it. Yeah, yeah, I read a couple of things in preparation for today. I think you do a great job. All right, check out Jan Van X stuff on Twitter and on the Van X site. Thank you so much for coming in, and uh, guys. Like and subscribe, would you please? Okay, we'll see you next week. We're out. You guys are phenomenal. You guys are phenomenal. All right, that was the warm-up. Are you ready to do this? Like, are you? Yeah, I'm ready now.